Good morning again to everyone. I hope that you all are, are doing well. I, once again, this is just an example that I'm so glad that we are in this bigger facility and not in the smaller one because it would have been packed. Uh, this morning, we're going to um, pivot this morning away from Exodus and from the, uh, the plagues. Uh, next week, we'll be in the, the ninth plague or the ninth sign, but this morning, we're going to turn uh, to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24, and we're going we're gonna to be there this morning. As you all know, as we all know, that these last, I'd say few years, but I think it's been longer than that now, that this world has been in absolute turmoil. And I, I think that is just to say the least. I mean, just this last week alone, or just last Sunday, we spoke about in the beginning addressing the horrific school shooting, another one, where children were specifically intentionally targeted by evil, as well as specifically a Christian school and a Christian's church targeted by evil. And I don't mean to start this off in a negative light, but these are things that we all understand, things that we've all experienced in some way. We, we can see it around us. I mean, literally, we are watching the very fabric of our society and our culture being torn apart. Like, the violence of tearing cloth is what's happening. And yet, and yet, as we see this happening around us, we see this happening to us as the church, the church gathers, and we gather together to find our rest upon the solid rock of the truth of God's word. The foundation in which we stand Secure, not wavering, not falling, not tripping, but the foundation by which we stand secure no matter what may happen to us. No matter if the tides shift further, no matter what the truth of Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and it will be tomorrow forevermore, that he is the Son of God, and that he is the Savior, and as our Savior, as we, we just sang, he is our victor, he stands in victory, he is not cowering, he's not been lowered, he's not in submission to the evil and to the sin of this world, but he stands as victor, victor. Conqueror, king. And that will never change. In the pinnacle of the gospel story that shows exactly what I just said is absolutely true is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the truth that overwhelms our souls and gives us and infuses in us this everlasting hope despite living in this broken world. Despite having brokenness hoisted upon us. Despite the struggle with sin in our hearts. The resurrection is the end game and it's done. This past Friday night, we gathered to read and to sing and to pray together and reflect upon the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we know the point of the cross. We sang of it. We've, we've read of it this morning. We know the point of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the sinless Son of God. He was sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus bore in himself the full 
full, just wrath of God that we deserved as sinners. He drank the whole cup of the wrath of God, and he said, it is finished. He died on the cross, and he was buried in an unused rich man's tomb. And on that day, that Friday, it seemed as if that was it, that Jesus had lost. Sin was going to continue. Death will continue to reign. Evil would still have its, its, its way. All hope, it seemed, was lost. His disciples were scattered. The women were crying. It seemed as if Friday night and Saturday in the tomb that was sealed shut under guard, that all there was left was hopelessness. There was a sense of shock and fear and devastation. And the idea of, of Friday and Saturday, brothers and sisters, is the same pervasive idea of hopelessness that still exists in our world today. That men and women still live as if Christ is still in the tomb and it's still Friday night and it's still all day Saturday night. Hopeless. But brothers and sisters and friends, I am here to tell you, listen to me, that that is not the end of the story. Because we are witnesses today that Sunday is not only coming, but Sunday has come, and Sunday is today. He has resurrected from the grave. And this is a good day for us to be confronted confronted with the glorious hope of the resurrection because it reminds me and it should remind you that evil, sin, and death will all be destroyed completely. And even though those things still may be at hand in our world and on display and seemingly even stronger and even in control, but when we read that the Son of God, who was raised from the dead according to, as Romans 1, 4 says, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 tells us of our hope we have today because of the resurrection of Christ. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, meaning we have died to our, in our sins, that he hasn't left us dead in our sins, but we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's resurrection. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. The thief has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But he has come to give life. Life abundantly. And so when John Calvin in his commentary on the Gospels introduces our text, Luke 24, 1 through 12, he says this. He says, now come to the closing scene of our redemption. For the lively assurance of our reconciliation with God arises from Christ, having come from hell as the conqueror of death. In order to show that he had the power of new life at his disposal, Justly, therefore, does Paul say that there will be no gospel and that the hope of salvation will be in vain and fruitless unless we believe that Christ is risen from the dead. For then did Christ obtain righteousness for us and open up our entrance into heaven. And in short, when was our, then was our adoption ratified when Christ, by the rising from the dead, exerted the power of his spirit and proved himself to be the son of God. And now though he manifested his resurrection in a different manner from what of the scene of our flesh would have desired, still the method of which he approved ought to be regarded by us also as the best. It would seem as if no one, from the text, no one expected the resurrection. 
And as Calvin just explained for us, he says, he says that the story of the resurrection was probably, it was written in such a way, and it happened in such a way that not, not even any of one of us would have written it that way or seen it that way or orchestrated it that way. If we would have been in charge, we would have made it differently. We would have said, let's have some more witnesses there. Let's have people standing by the door when the, when the stone is rolled away and seeing him walk out of the tomb. However, the Bible records, recorded it for us in the Gospels. Do not have any of that. But as Calvin says, it is completely sufficient and good for us. To some that might seem disconcerting. But think about it. Jesus' body is not in the tomb. It's not in its place, the place that it should have been. The stone is not in its place. It's not, he is not behind the stone anymore, nor is the stone in front of the door. Nor is he wrapped in his linens anymore, in cloths, because he is not there. And let's look at Luke 24, to that very moment when we, when people begin to realize and see what God had done. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. But while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his word. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, for they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. Pretty simple outline this morning that I have for you. Very simple three points to show us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is of the great joys that the church has to experience and delight in. And I know that this may not come to a shock because we've already been saying it over and over and over again. It's not going to stun you because it is Sunday, because it's Resurrection Day. And more importantly, I hope that it doesn't offend any. If it does, I don't care. But it is a shocker and it is a stunner. And that is point one, he is risen. And to most people, this certainly is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. The resurrection is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to the gospel. But to speak with such clarity and audacity that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that will offend the modern mind. But this is exactly what the angels said, the men dazzling, right? It's not us all spiffed up. These are real angels dazzling in white. The men dazzling there, the angels told the women. It's exactly what they told the women. He is not here. And so at the, the crack of dawn, as we, we just read, at the crack of dawn, at first light, the first day of the week, on Sunday, these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, or James, and some others, they, they get up early, they gathered all that they would need to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial, which they had started previously that Friday before the Sabbath had begun. Now, they come back to the tomb. And that coming back to the tomb was about love and devotion and respect for Jesus. They, they loved him. Mark 16.3 tells us that on the way to the tomb, they were having this conversation together. And they were asking one another, who's going to roll away the stone from the tomb? 
You think about that. You're, you're going to go do a, a job that you can't do because someone has to move the stone out of the way or someone has to get something done first, but their love was driving them there still to go prepare and to take care of Jesus' body. But when they got there, what did they see? Verse 2. They saw that the stone had been rolled away, and okay, all right, they're like, oh, great, stone's been, stone's been rolled away, it's early. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea, he came back with some of his servants, and, and they rolled the stone away knowing that we were, we were coming, right? You can easily justify that. You can, you can kind of see, it's like coming to your house and your door's been unlocked, and you're like, oh, you know, one of my kids, my wife, you forget to do that, or I forgot to unlock, and stuff like that. They walk in the tomb, and what they saw was perplexing. And what they saw was actually what they didn't see, and that was the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, strides the emotion, that perplexing, right? It says, it says they were perplexed, which means they were bewildered, they were confused, they were, they were completely at a loss. So now, now it's like, um, now if you saw your house was unlocked and you went in and then stuff was gone, right? Now you're like, uh-oh, you're perplexed, what happened? They're puzzled. And in their minds, they, they can't reconcile what happened. Well, if Joseph was here earlier, why would he take him? Why would the, someone else? What, what's happening? They're perplexed. They don't understand. And they can't reconcile in their minds logically what happened to the body of Jesus. Now, this isn't to um, diminish their love that they had for Jesus. That was clearly something special. And they were the first ones to come to the tomb that day. And so the question is, is why would they be perplexed? Because we know the rest of the story. Why would they be perplexed? And we know the beginning of the story. So we kind of know what's going on here. How come they can't see it? I mean, didn't Jesus already tell them that he was going to rise on the third day? And the answer to the question is yes. He told them. He told the disciples that, that this is what they should expect to see. And exactly what they saw that morning is exactly what he told them was going to happen. All that they had been waiting, all of that for, would happen. Now, again, let's be, be very careful because I think in the same light and same thing for us, that even if we were the ones who were to show up to the tomb that day, I don't think we would have been there eagerly waiting to see an empty tomb. We still, even today, we forget the resurrection. We lose hope. We press into this world so much and its systems for our assurances. And so we live often perplexed by life. I read something last week to you all, that article by Kevin DeYoung. And talking about the difficulty of faith, he said, he said we, we talk so much about faith that we can underestimate how otherworldly it is to truly be a Christian. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, con the conviction of things unseen. He says that the that's the closest thing to, the, to a definition of faith that we get in the Bible. And it's a definition that we'd prefer not to rely on. I'd like to be assured of things I have, not the things hoped for. I'd like to be convinced of the things that I see, not the things that I don't see. And so, so no wonder they, they come to the, to the tomb perplexed. So if anything, we, could, we can relate with these women. We can re relate with the apostles when they are told by these women that the tomb is empty when they are doubtful. We can relate and we can be quite sympathetic because we understand the difficulty of faith. So many are perplexed and confused about the resurrection. Others just dismiss it altogether, call it nonsense, call it a myth, call it a cover to cope with life with, whatever. But when the Apostle Paul preached, to the, preached the gospel at the temple in Athens in Acts chapter 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, many turned around laughing and sneering at such nonsense. And not far from many in our world today, maybe a friend of yours or a family member or a classmate or a professor or several, Again, as I said earlier, the, the resurrection is a massive stumbling block, especially to the modern mind, who can't even consider that the resurrection objectively. 
And they can't consider it even without bias. Because it's just plain impossible. People don't rise from the dead. And to that we would, re- we would agree. Miracles don't happen outside of what they know in science. And yet the, the evidence, the, even the objective evidence, points to the otherwise. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. It's not only one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith, but it is historically accurate. If Jesus never rose from the dead by the Father, then without dispute, Jesus was just a mere man. Without dispute. But if he truly died, and he was put in a sealed tomb, and then on the third day was raised from the dead then as all evidence proves, then without dispute, he is the Son of God. It is not a question of whether or not you believe it. What Luke is showing us, what Luke is showing us, in fact, in all the Gospels, is that Jesus didn't just spiritually survive. He wasn't just in a coma. He wasn't physically resuscitated. There wasn't some body double, some doppelganger, but rather Jesus died, was put in a tomb, and he was raised by the Father. So this isn't necessarily a question of belief, and belief is what makes it true. It's true, therefore we believe it. Jesus conquered death. And as he appeared to his disciples, as we see throughout the rest of the the Gospels, we we see Jesus in this resurrected body showing us this new plane of existence. This existence as a resurrected Savior who appears here and then he disappears there. He walks through walls and then in the end he ascends to the Father. And this is why we 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 get the question that the The angels asked the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And Luke, who writes this this gospel as a historical account, go back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you'll see he's writing it to be a historical account of the life of, of Jesus, and he makes very clear to us and gives us the historical evidence that the body is gone. And eventually, all the disciples and women, they will come to understand that Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. And just weeks after, 50 days later, after Pentecost, why would the apostles be boldly proclaiming a message that Jesus is alive? Because he is. He was crucified at the hands of men, but by the power of God, he has been raised from the dead. And if there was a body still in that tomb, how in the world could they have ever expect that anyone would ever take them seriously? And not only that, how, how could anyone ever expect to see how Christianity still exists today? And the reason is because the tomb is empty. But the question isn't how. Or, or how is the tomb empty? Theologically, we can answer that. The Father raised Christ from the dead. But the question that so many come to answer is, they want to know how. They, they, they want to know, well, well, what went wrong? What what really happened, right? Because this can't happen, so what really happened? So, so maybe the women just went to the wrong tomb. Women, women might go to the, they might have went to the wrong tomb. It was early, hadn't had their coffee yet, whatever, got lost. However, the details of the burial in the earlier chapter, after Jesus has died, they knew exactly where the tomb was. They knew where his body was placed. They knew how it was positioned. They knew the condition that it was in because they brought the supplies needed to treat the body to finish the job. It wasn't mere sentimentality and love that brought them to the tomb that morning. They had a job to do. 
to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. Well, that's taken off the table. And some other people want to answer, well, maybe Jesus was just in a coma on the cross and he really didn't die. And they didn't know because they're not as smart as we are. They don't have the medical science that we have. And, and then he was in the tomb and then he just came alive and was able to get out. They call that the swoon theory. Right? Swoon. Maybe Jesus just lost consciousness. They thought he was dead, put him in there. They revived, he was revived. He was able to push the stone away. He avoided the guards because he's like Jason Bourne. And he got away. Again, the problem with this view is the Bible. And again, science. Right? The very thing they want to claim as being, this is what we want to argue from. That science. The Bible tells us that Jesus' side was pierced. And it was pierced because he was dead. He died on the cross. And if he was still alive, then he, they would have done to, the, uh, to Jesus as they did to the others on the cross that day. And that is break his legs so that he would suffocate the death. If he was still alive, Pilate would have never let his body off the cross. And after all the mocking, and after all the flogging, and after all the trials, and even the crucifixion itself for the hours that it went on, and then for 36 hours, with no medical care and treatment, Jesus' body wrapped up in linens and stuck, on, stuck in the tomb. We're now to expect, logically, that Jesus would just all of a sudden wake up, unwrap himself, and be able to remove the stone and walk out on his own. Now that's impossible to believe. Well, maybe then, maybe there were thieves, right? There's there's thieves. There's always thieves. We know about thieves, don't we? Maybe thieves came and took Jesus' body. Or maybe as the, the Pharisees propagated that, that the disciples stole the body. Okay. They, they did that in Matthew. Matthew records that. And the Pharisees were already fearful of this happening, so that's why they posted the guards at the tomb. Is it likely a, a, that a highly disciplined detachment of guards, 16 soldiers who under the threat of death for the dereliction of duty, that they were the ones that would fall asleep and let this to happen? Especially by a bunch of scared disciples and grieving women. That they could get past them and roll the stone away and take the body. I don't think so. And even if that was true, again, we go back to the argument we were making somewhat earlier. If they really stole the body of Jesus, how far would that lie go? How far would that lie go? How far would they get with it as they preached the gospel throughout the known world under the threat of death themselves? And when you read Acts, you, you, you see a group of men who were absolutely convinced of the resurrected Savior, even to the point of death. You don't do that for a lie. You don't do that for a lie. It's not a story of the greatest cover-up of all time, but the greatest miracle of all time. And maybe, maybe then, not likely again, here's another one that people like to throw out there, and just to cover all the possibilities, maybe the Romans took it. Maybe the, the Romans took the body, or again, the, the, the Jewish authorities took, took the Bible or took, took Jesus' body. And, and, they, and they could have taken it, right? They Certainly they had time, and, and, uh, and, and certainly this was just all a misunderstanding that you know, they just moved Jesus' body. Again, however unlikely. Because to them, Jesus was just a man. Jesus was just a man that could be killed. And if you kill him, then problem solved. Voila. Done. Wash my hands of it. We're done. And secondly, if they took Jesus' body, then when Christians began to believe that Jesus was resurrected, wouldn't they have produced the body? No, 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 he's right over here, guys. There he is. Oh, okay, it's done. They produced the body and this whole thing would be done with. But they didn't, because they couldn't. And now 2,000 years, years later, here we are meeting together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the living Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is risen. He's not missing. These theories cannot hold any water to the facts, to the evidence from history. So, so then, is it at all unreasonable to say, then, logically, that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead according to the Scriptures, just as it was written in the Gospels, and we see in the account of Luke chapter 24? The evidence, without a doubt, confirms that Jesus is alive. But it's not at all the evidence that changes our minds. That's not the evidence as much that changes our hearts. I fully understand that it's not the evidence that, that, that I gave you will all of a sudden produce life. It doesn't. The objective evidence before us is in front of us every day on several different things, but that doesn't mean it changes our mind. What produces life is the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God, and that produces faith by the will of God. The church The church is built upon that. And our faith is not in a holy, wishful thinking or shot in the dark that is based upon fantasy and fairy tales. The Christian faith is based upon what is true so that we can be certain of the gospel. So that you can be certain of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that you will be certain and assured of your salvation and the hope that you have of eternal life through him. The resurrection is the foundation, brothers and sisters, of our joy and of our hope and of all of assurance that we have in Christ. The women were perplexed and so were we at times. But listen, as the angel said, you cannot find the living among the dead. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Again, not a, not a shocker. It's the words of the messengers, the angels that said to the women in verse, verse 4, they were perplexed about this. Behold, the two men stood in dazzling apparel. And these angels, verse 5, and as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The women did. And the men, the angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And again, this is the greatest news of all the world, that he is alive. And I love these words because there's sort of a, a hint of rebuke that they give them. It's like, a, you should have known. We've already dealt with this. Verse 6, he says, they say, remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day. Just told the whole story to them. Remember how Jesus told you this. Remember, he told you specifically when he was in Galilee. Remember that? He told you. It wasn't very long ago. Remember that, ladies. Do you remember? You were there. You heard it with your own ears. You heard the words spoken out of his mouth. It's like when you have a conversation with an old friend and you're catching up with them and you're starting to, to recall what happened back in, the, you know, back in the day. And you say, yeah, you, you remember. You were there. You remember it was this day and this place and this person said this and this was what happened. You're like, oh yeah, now I remember. It seems like the older I get and the older uh, Christina and I get that when we get with our friends, our conversations sound exactly like that. Where we have to help each other remember these things. And Luke does this for us. In Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3, specifically he tells us that Mary Magdalene, Jose, Joanna, Herod, Herod's household manager, Susanna, and others, women, were with Jesus in Galilee. And then in chapter 9, verse 22, while Jesus was still in Galilee, he told his, his followers that he would suffer and that he would be rejected by the religious leaders. And then on the third day, he would be raised. They were there. They heard Jesus' words. Jesus made clear over and over again. And the angels tell them, remember the words of Jesus. And when you remember the words of Jesus, then everything that you see here that's perplexing to you will begin to make sense. Remember. Again, evidence is helpful. Evidence is helpful. Logic is good. God has made us to be logical creatures. This is why our world is so stupid today. Because it's not logical. The wisdom that God has given us is being cast to the side, and now we have such stupidity around us. Logic is good, but to make sense of the missing body, to understand the resurrection is to remember 
his word. Verse 8 tells us, they say, it says to us, and they remembered his words. Yes, I remember it. I remember when Jesus said, and I, and, and I love that because it's, it's so important to us to understand. It's, again, it's kind of like when that memory finally kicks back. You're, or you hear a song, you're like, oh man, who sang that song? You're thinking, you're thinking, you're thinking. It's driving crazy, and all of a sudden, it's like turning the key, all the tumblers fall, and the thing unlocks. You're like, yes, there it is. It's this moment. I remember the light switch comes on. I can see, I can hear, I can, I can remember it now. And yes, this is what Jesus said. Jesus told us that his body was not going to be here. And as they remember the word of God, it helps them make sense of everything. And when we remember the word of God, when we remember what, what Jesus has said, what God's word has said, then everything then begins to make sense. We put it in context of the resurrection and the cross. We put it in context with, with all of salvation history. Was moving to that very point. All of scripture is moving right to that point. To the empty tomb. When God had made a way for his people to be saved through the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that when he conquered our greatest enemy, death. Everything was moving to that point. Again, ap apologetics is good. Defense of the faith is good. And it can be helpful in explaining the Bible. A good defense or argument, though, however, does not change the heart of the lost. They're helpful to engage and to answer some of the questions that they may have, and we should use those resources and those tools but what is needed is the word of God, the faithful preaching of the word of God, because again, that's what produces light and life and faith. The proclamation and sharing the word of God is where men are saved. The only way that we can have peace, brothers and sisters, and those who are gathered with us this morning, friends, is to remember the word of God and believing and having faith. It's just like every other part of our Christian life. How do we grow in grace? How do we mature in faith? How do we fight sin and resist the evil one? How do we learn to love? How do we learn to forgive when forgiving is really hard? How do we learn to submit and to bear with one another? How do we learn to encourage and to exhort one another by believing and knowing the word of God. And so no wonder the angel said, don't take it from me, take it from Christ, who has already said it in his word. It's not the logic, it's not the science, it's not the other evidences that ultimately will save you, it's the word of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit that gives faith to the unbeliever. So many, so many want to interpret the scripture through their life. And then they want to bend it, and they want to shape it, and tear it, and delete it to fit their existence. But what we see here, and what is necessary for us all to understand, is that we interpret our lives through the lens of God's word. We understand that life is challenging, and in times there will be tragedy and unexpected loss, things that we cannot comprehend and understand. Why? There are such great mysteries that we will never understand, and yet we still can somewhat understand and get through them because we see them through the lens of faith through the word of God. It's hard. And at times, that's, that's really, really hard. And we wrestle with, with that, and we struggle even to the point of despair. And sometimes in that despair, it takes five hours. Sometimes in that despair, it takes five days, or, or five months, or five weeks, or years. But remembering the Word of God, again, look to the Word. 
Remember what Jesus had said. Then, then, it's, then it's then, then all of those situations, when we see them through the lens of the scripture, then it shows us how we are to live and persevere by faith. Struggling and wrestling with the scripture and trying to understand life is not rejecting the faith, but rather it's us having to wade through the mess and the emotions and the thoughts and the doubts, being perplexed and confused, but still by faith we return remembering the word of God and how God's word bears its truth upon us. They remembered and they believed. We read God's word, we remember, and we believe. And if you've ever been in that place of fear and doubt and questioning during those hard times, and great loss, dark night of the soul, as it like to be said, and then all of a sudden that darkness is turned into light, and it feels as if you were drowning, but then now you've, you awaken and you find yourself on shore beaten up, battered, and soaked, whatever, but you're no longer sinking. And you realize what has been guiding your steps has been the light of God's word. As David tells us, is a light unto our feet. Brothers and sisters, I exhort you this, re this morning to remember the word of God. That is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And remember that God keeps his promises. This text ultimately is showing us that God keeps his promises, that Christ is risen from the dead according to the scriptures. And that gives us assurance and faith. Do not despair in the dark times, but remember and trust in the sufficiency of the word of God. And this brings us to our last point, that when the women remember the words of Jesus... They remember all that he had said and all that has taken place. And, and then they see the situation that they, they, they just witnessed and they interpret it through the words of, of Jesus. What is their response? What is it that they do? They go and tell. Everything that they do in this moment is a response. This response has the marks of faith. And they went and told the disciples, didn't they? They remembered the words and it moved them to go and tell, to go and tell those who had dismay and anguish, to go and tell them what they saw and also, hey, this is what we didn't see. The body of, of Christ and appoint them to God's word. Don't you remember in Galilee? Because we remember this is what Jesus said and this is what has happened. To them and to us, such good news cannot be left to ourselves. They didn't have to understand everything, did they? I'm sure that they had several questions. Several questions that, that to them still did not need to be answered. But they still went and told. Because what they had seen and what they had gained by, by faith and remembering the word of God had changed everything. And here it is, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the root of all of our hope. They understood, as we understand, that the resurrection, it completely flips the script around. When they thought they had lost everything, they now see that they've gained everything. Everything was lost. Everything was gone. Now what? What do we do? Well, we just do the next thing. We take care of the body. They lost everything, but again, like I said, the script is completely flipped and they've gained everything because the resurrection is now the ground of their assurance as it is the ground of our assurance that you have been forgiven of sin because the Lord has accepted the sacrifice of the Son of God for the forgiveness of sin. How do you know you've been forgiven? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. How do you know that you are a Christian? Because Christ has been risen from the dead. How do you know that you have eternal security? Because Christ is risen from the dead. How do you know that you've been loved by God? Because Christ is risen from the dead. How do you know that you have eternal hope at all? Because Christ is risen from the dead. Why do we gather? Why are we here this morning? Why did you get up on a rainy, cold day, April 9, 2023, to gather with the church when you couldn't be sleeping? 
You could stay in bed and be warm and wait for mama to make a warm breakfast for you because Christ has risen from the dead. I'm losing my voice. He's risen from the dead. That's why we gather, because it changes everything. It's why we can look at this world and we can, we can weep for them, but yet still have hope. Because Christ is risen from the dead. How do you have any kind of hope in this wicked, evil, and backwards world that we were once a part of? Because Christ is risen from the dead. And because of this, ready for this, again, again, what is all of our assurance and what of all, all of our hope? I've said it a hundred times already. Because Christ is risen from the dead. Our Savior. He is not dead, but he is alive. He is not in the grave. He is not in the tomb. And as the angels saw the women and told them, he's not here. You want to find Jesus? Come to the living, not the dead. And so the practical things of this, brothers and sisters, just the implications just flow from this. We're not praying to a dead God. We pray to the living God who hears our prayers and loves us and understands what we are going through. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father and interceding for you. Why? Because he's not in the tomb. He's alive. It means that he is our good shepherd who will defend us. And it will be with us because he is alive. When we are in the valley of the shadow of death, we know the good shepherd is with us because he's alive. And his resurrection is a, is a sign to our future resurrection that we too will be raised up with him, with new bodies from the dead. Along with our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who have gone before us in the ages before. And so just as the women did that morning, they carried the hope back to the bros. We carry the hope of, to the world, this gospel, and we go and we tell. And do you, do you understand, can you, can you somewhat fathom the kind of treasure that you are carrying? The kind of treasure that is indwelled, a treasure that is so great and so vast that it is, it is absolutely nothing in comparison to what this world can give. Let me tell you, the, the treasure of this world is this. It's the kind of treasure that you want to hide. That's the kind of treasure this world has. It's the kind of treasure you want to hide, you want to hoard, and you want to store. That's the kind of treasure that the world has. Or it's the kind of treasure you, you want to keep to yourself because it's yours. But the treasure that Christ has given to us is not diminishing. It's not decaying. It's not going away. It's everlasting. And we can give it to everybody. And guess what? It never diminishes. It never goes away. It's not something we have to hoard and store because it doesn't degrade or get lost. This treasure is the greatest hope the hope that we have, the living hope of a risen and living Savior. And this is a hope that we go tell a dying world. Brothers and sisters, there is no other hope, no other hope that's going to change anything in this culture and in this society. Nothing but the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. We are here today and in this place because the Lord has ordained each of our days and the people of God, like these women, have gone and told. And so that we would go now and we would tell our neighbors and we would tell our family members and strangers and coworkers, etc., and we would tell them. And guess what? It may go exactly like what these women experienced. That didn't happen. No way. Doubt. It's not our job to convince or to convert or to change. As we have already said, it is the Holy Spirit. Can you think again of another hope that our world needs today other than the living hope that only comes through a risen Savior? And as I've said, we, we, are, 
we grieve, and we should. I think there could be a righteous anger, absolutely, but we also grieve for our world today. And we grieve for our family members and the loss of our friends. That loss is great. And the lostness is great. We grieve at the brokenness that sin has caused. We grieve because our family and friends, because we know sin's destruction. We've seen sin's destruction in our own lives, and we grieve because we know that righteous judgment is coming. It's what we've been preaching throughout Exodus and the, and the sign of the plagues. It's just a constant warning to repent. But we also know, thanks be to God, because he has sent his son who lived a sinless life, who was willing, who willingly went to the cross, who satisfied the wrath of God, who, who listened to this, who, who, who because of his death has torn the curtain, had torn the curtain in two that separated man from God so that we now could come to him for the forgiveness of sin and salvation and to be adopted as sons. Take that treasure and that message. Be a, be a light of Jesus Christ. And remember the word of God and go and tell because he is alive. He is risen and that changes everything. Brothers and sisters, the joy of the church, the joy of this church is our Lord Jesus Christ who is resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is our joy because resurrection is going to be our story. At the end of the great chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, we read this starting in verse 51, and I want to end with this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on, the, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and this is quoting from Hosea, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, all of God's people say, and amen.